really want to encourage you uh, to go and spend time in this morning's prophetic declaration. Um, it's what is every time we speak is that, but I truly, from my heart to yours, know the seriousness of what was communicated this morning. And I know and speak from that place. And so I know what that has done in me and through me. And I just cannot urge you enough to be found, not once, not twice, but let it wash over you um, until something happens in you. Because unless anything's happening in you, it's not happening. The gospel is a supernatural power to change us, to enable us to live a supernatural life. Guys, can you just try and fix this echoey thing? Thank you. Um, do we believe that? <coughs> Not really, eh? It doesn't sound like you believe it. You don't mentally agree with the gospel. You f- believe, you're fully convinced of a reality. Cafe number one it is. And that reality that you receive through power brings you testimony. And you live from the testimony of what he's doing in you. And so that's the place of living, see? It's just a natural place of living from. It's a mode of being. It's as innate as breathing. That's how real Christianity is to be through receiving the gospel. It's not something you intellectualize. It's not something you mentally agree with. It's something you receive and it changes you. And now your mind is renewed to it. So then you are fully convinced of what your mind sees and knows. And you live from that capacity. Amen? Otherwise, it's a complete waste of time. And it's us trying to change us through our own <laughs> strength and ability. And you get nowhere. And so I hope that's the gospel you have received and are receiving, because that's the gospel that will do the work in you. Especially when we start looking at things like the gifts and living from identity, because a gift is not to shape your identity. Christ shapes your identity. If the gift is shaping your identity, you're in trouble. Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father, is the only one that gives us our identity. So then when you understand the gift in your life, you live from identity and you serve from understanding who you are with the gift. If you don't know who you are, you'll minister out of you. Your human nature identity. And you'll make the gift about you. And ultimately, you'll serve you with his gift. Use his name. But you'll think you're doing it for him. So we're going to look at identity tonight. 
So we're going to look at how identity in Christ shapes the gifts. Cool? All righty. Where are we going, guys? Galatians 4. Get your Bibles turned to Galatians 4. Verses 4. Sorry, Galatians 4, verses 1 to 7. And I'm going to read this, and then I'm just going to go straight to my awesome team, our awesome team. And we're probably going to jump all over the place, okay? Because obviously identity is throughout the entire scriptures, and so we just want these things to breathe, so get ready to move with us. Sonship in Christ, verse number one. Now I say, as long as the ear, meaning H-E-I-R, not an ear, an ear is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. Verse 3. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he, God, might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an ear through God. That's a powerful declaration, isn't it, of a man who had transitioned from slave to son. So this is a man who's speaking the reality of knowing he was an orphan, knowing he was a son, a slave, knowing he operated from the flesh. Like you heard this morning, has that seed ripped out of him, receives the spirit of sonship, and knows now he is a son, and the man come to know that he was actually predestined as a son before he ever was born. So he's actually catching up with who he was before the beginning of time. So if you are in Christ and you have received Christ, then you're catching up to who you actually are in him. So you can just live from the place that he says you are. Before you ever were. <laughs> this is trippy, eh? But how cool is it? So, Sam, you want to kick us off from verse one? Um, I think this this is a re- whoa. <laughs> um, this is a, a really powerful passage, and I think, um, like like Greg was saying, understanding sonship and understanding who we are in Christ is so essential. Before understanding the gifts of the Spirit, but before we even take our first breath or before we do anything, whether we're ministering in a gift or whether we're just living life. Um, and I think I, I, I love, I, can, can, we, can I start at verse 2? Is that right? Because <laughs> um, I feel like verse 2 kind of brings real clarity to what, um, to what Greg was saying. Um, actually, sorry, no, verse 3. It says, So also we, while we were children, 
were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. And I was, the first thing that really struck me about this verse is it says, so also we, while we were children, were held in bondage. And he doesn't say, while you were a sinner, hopeless, never going to make it. He said, while you, were a, while you were a son, you were just held in bondage. He said, this is, this is who you were always called to be, but you just, at this stage, until the fullness of time came where the revelation of the gospel came and penetrated your heart, you were a son, but you just didn't live like one. You had everything that was available to you, but you not knowing it, not having received revelation of who you were before the foundations of the world, all of a sudden started to live like a slave and your whole life reflected slavery whilst, while being a son. Isn't that a devastating position? To, it's, to me, that's even more devastating than actually being a slave. In economics, we call it the opportunity cost. It's what could have been. It's a consequence of a decision. It's not the actual thing itself. It's that everything was available, but in choosing this or in not seeing this, you miss out on, on everything. And so for, for us as the church, there is an, an enormous opportunity cost of not hearing and not receiving this revelation because we'll operate as a slave while being sons. So I think to me that was the first thing that, that, that grabbed me. What is the thing that you're putting on the line? So what is the loss? So to not discover who you are in Christ is to put something at risk. What is that thing? Your inheritance, but what does that look like? What is the inheritance for the church? So you're putting a relationship with Christ on the line? What else? Coming to know who we truly are, which enables what, Cass? So, so if you don't know who you are, you can't live out the reality that you are called to live out while on earth. Never mind the future. Now, you're going to miss out on living a life that you are called to live. A life that is like Christ's. So you're unable to walk in the manner in which he walked on the earth. How did he walk? In and from love. In and from power, in and from freedom, in and from humility, in and from everything. That's what you're putting on the line. Which means if we don't discover that, we're probably going to struggle through life. You have a good life, you know, you sort of get by and you pat yourself on the back after 85 years and, you know, you can give your house to your kids or whatever, but. A life that's more than food and body more than clothing life escaped you. And yet it was right in front of you. Never mind the inheritance 
which is real, just as real as your life is today, it's just as real there. Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are dead or alive. Where? In the presence of Almighty God. What are they doing? (laughs) Doesn't it say some people are cheering us on so they can't be dead? Dead people don't cheer people on. So you're putting the life now and your future life in jeopardy by not spending the time to get to know him and who you are in him through the power of revelation. And I think to me that's that's the key, is that this is not like we heard about this morning. This is not some sort of self-help, come on, pull yourself together, get on. You know, like this is... What I heard Greg just say is that this comes through revelation. All, all, all this requires is a, it's, it, revelation means to, to change the way you think. That if your mind is renewed and you're by the um, that we were renewed in the spirit of our mind. That if we were actually to see God for who He was and see ourselves as His sons and the inheritance that's available to us. That is what will compel and motivate you to live differently. And, and that's what this is, simply this is what it's, it's resting on and why the gospel is good news as opposed to the most horrific and devastating news ab- about self-sacrifice and self-mutilation. And come on, the, 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 the difference here is, is enormous because it, it rests on receiving a work that's been done before the foundations of the world and actually genuinely believing that when he died, you died, and that you died in him. And in receiving that revelation, you received the, the, the power of a resurrected life within you, not because you've worked towards it, but because you've received the result of his works. So it really is it really is good news, but the, the, the battle is... Is, is in our minds to actually have our minds renewed by the Holy Spirit to believe what we've always been called to live in and, and, and from. I want to go back to verse 1. Did you want to add anything, anything or go start? I'll read it out for you if you like. Um, Now I say as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. Did you notice anything? Did anything pop out there? He's owner of everything? Did that stick out? Like That really stuck out to me. God has God has a place for us to live in and from <clears throat> when we when we have given our life and this <clears throat> this reality that Greg was talking about this morning I I know the both sides the the knowing that there's life but trying to come into life through understanding in my mind and there's this sense of striving, sense of hoping that you're going to come into life that's promised. And if you just do this, if you just do this, it's always just slightly out of reach. 
And it's interesting because in, in my testimony of that whole thing being smashed, there was a having to let go of the the identity in ministry, the doing to actually come to his heart and just hear. And the power of coming into his his way is so different. It is so utterly different from what I spent literally decades doing, always hoping, but never coming into. And it makes you sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire that is fulfilled is a tree of life. Interesting, isn't it? I believe that he has created us with the desire for the life, for the connection with the tree of life. That's Christ. And the the hope we get waylaid because we're trying to fulfill that thing through an an old mode, a flesh mode of operation, which is if I just learn more, if I just do this, if I proclaim more, if I just believe, 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 but it's a it's a grasping from our own strength and it's the smashing of that. For me, that brought me into the place where I could receive love and the power of life that that now comes through me rather than me trying to engineer it up and have more and then then trying to love out of me and then running out of love and having to kind of come back to God because my tank is empty. That whole operating system is associated with the flesh system and and even within the the operating of giftings and things like that. It's like it comes out of this, this desire to do the right thing for God, but it's lacking in any kind of power. So it's a form of godliness, but it doesn't have any power. And, and the, the telltale is it doesn't have the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't have the inner life of peace and joy and life, love, patience, kindness. My life was in turmoil. It was anxiety. It was fear. It was, it was riddled with frustration and anger because it was always out there and I was trying to get it. And this, these, what we're talking about, identity, and what, what you heard this morning, they're, they're com- completely the same thing. Because if we don't get this right, nothing, nothing of our life is coming out of him. It's coming out of us. So this, um, all that's in here, the child can't live as a son until he receives the spirit of sonship. And the life is transferred from being the life of flesh to the life of the spirit. And that process involves this dying and then being brought to life. The posture that 
Sandra was describing <laughs> is the slave. So everything she just said about trying to come into life is the slave's position. <clears throat> you are a child of who? So think about that. Your God, your Father, is the creator of all things, is he not? And all things come from him, through him, are for him, are they not? Does he lack? Is he overflow in abundance? He doesn't even know what lack is, does he? No. So think about this. Who's your father? So where are you trying to find your identity? So many people try to find their identity in a natural mum and dad. It sucks if you had really bad parents. Sucks if your parents abused you. While you search for your identity in the natural, the natural is evil, is it not? So even though my father was an awesome father, he's actually not my father. And so I shouldn't be looking for my identity in a natural human being because I have come from my heavenly father. So why don't we celebrate? And I say this, and I've said this before. I'm not sure how you got here, but celebrate the fact that you're here. Don't, if you can, and I know this can be easy to say, allow him to eradicate your past that's still attached to your identity. Because before anyone was born and anyone had a chance to fall, your identity was found in your heavenly father. Not in a man, not in a woman who may have brought you into this earth, abused you, not abused you, loved you, didn't leave you, whatever. You were already chosen. Allow the father of life to shape you through revelation upon revelation upon revelation. We need to know who we are. We need to know our Father. Otherwise, we will always be looking for other things to shape us. Just say whatever you want to say. I'm just going to keep feeding off what you say. Cool. Um. I think back, just back to what we talked about, verse 1. It says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. And um, I, I just noticed before when I was reading this, that back in the day, I must have written a little note, and it says, Now as long as the heir is a child, and he's not talking about a child in a positive context here, he's talking about actually a child in a negative context. You know, it's... Saying now, as long as the ear is a child, he's saying now, as long as the ear is immature, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. And I think in all of this, you know, that um, now, as long as the ear is immature, he doesn't differ. And I think this is once again what we've heard about this morning, what we've been hearing about from a from a long time. That as sons of of God knowing our identity in, in Christ actually makes us genuinely different on the inside. 
But at the, um, but for so long, I think because the gospel has only been in words, um, that we are we become we know that we're children of God in title, but not necessarily in the reality and in the reflection of our lives. And so um, we remain as as um, as immature children. And he's saying here, like the difference between um, a, a child. As an immature child and a slave, in reality, is nothing except he's the owner of everything, just doesn't realize it. And so I think as, as the body of Christ, and why this is so relevant to gifts, is because you could just say, for example, become a Christian. Um, you know, you've, you've been living in the world. Maybe you've been a great musician and playing concerts. You become a Christian, and all of a sudden... Um, it's like, oh my, oh my goodness! I need to serve God. And I need to live for God. So I'll join the, I'll join the music team, um, and you can just transfer your, your gifting and what you're doing from being in the world to then being in the body, and yet that was not the transformation that God was looking for. It wasn't just transferring your earthly skills, your earthly talents, your earthly gifts from one context to another. It was supposed to be the complete transformation of your life on the inside where you go from living for yourself to living for him. And so I think that to me this is why it's so key and why identity is so key that when we start talking about the gifts and we start talking about ministering out of a place of security of identity um, because we've been changed. We're not just changing what we do. We've as who we are has changed, and so therefore it it changes the way that we do everything. Have you guys been to an orphanage? One where orphans have been there, not children who have lost their parents who don't live as orphans. So have you been to an orphanage where the spirit of orphan is there in the child? Yeah? Okay. It's fascinating when you go there. You Think about this in the area of gifts. When you give a gift to an orphan-spirited child, what are the chances of giving that gift back? What does that look like in the body of Christ? When God gives you his gift and you're an orphan spirit, what does that look like about you using it for his purposes or yours? Making the connection? This is what happens. Jesus was an influencer as a son, correct? He didn't insulate himself. He influenced people. An orphan with their influence will insulate themselves and take that influence and keep it to themselves. You try and get it off an orphan, you get your hand bitten off. Because all an orphan knows how to do is protect what it's never had and now it's got it. Peter was an orphan of the Gospels. You are the Messiah. You are not going to die. I am going to defend you because I found the greatest thing and I'm not losing it and I will define it all. Orphan-spirited Christians take the gift and build their own thing with it. Can you lay it down? No, because you're not able to lay it down. Because a son is releasing 
So you have to look at your life, period, and go, am I an influencer or do I insulate myself with what is God's? Because hasn't it all come from him? So let's just talk about one key thing called money. (laughs) That's a good one, eh? Do you influence or do you insulate? An insulator keeps for a rainy day. An influencer, a son, goes, there's plenty in the bank. Because my father owns a thousand cattle on a hill. I know I also have everything because I know my father owns everything. So I can influence with my influence. I don't insulate myself and lock it away in a corner and try and get it, I'm going to bite your head off. So think about that in the area of gifts because every gift that's given is to build the house, the body. But orphans with gifts build their own thing. They actually don't have the capacity within them to lay their lives down because they don't want to die. Because they've had to fight for everything they've got. I see this, I've seen this in 20 years of Christians fighting for position and they push this one and they push that one and they're first to this and they're first to that and they trumpet on other people to get what they get to and they think they've made it and stand there and go, I've made senior leader. And you look back and you see the wake of all the people they've stood on and crapped on to get there. And we call that love. You know what it says in Proverbs 30.22? I'll just go there. This is what it says in relation to what I just said. Proverbs 30.22. Under three things the earth quakes. Under four it cannot bear up. Do you know what the first one is? Under a slave when he becomes a king. Imagine someone running a country. Like that. Imagine someone leading a God's house. Slaves don't love like sons. They can't. There's a reason why they're a slave. There's a reason why they're orphans. An orphan has a father. They just don't know him. In the natural, every child that's an orphan has a father, correct? It's not like they don't have a father. They just don't know their father. Put that into the spiritual context. Every spiritual orphan has a father. They just don't know him. And that's, to me, that's why it says that this is, and when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his spirit. And what does it say? Um, Because you are sons of God, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And to me, this is the gospel in the fullness of time that the church who were always predestined to be 
or who were always called as sons, all of a sudden received the spirit of sonship where they realized who they were all along. It makes them cry out, oh my goodness, Abba Father, you know, and to, and the word Abba, is, it's, a, it's a comprehension of God, a divine comprehension of him in a way that we could never receive while we were still tainted by the fall which brought about separation from him, right? Um, because our internal makeup doesn't allow us to receive that love. We'll constantly reject it until we receive that spirit of sonship within us that makes us cry out, Abba Father, and come, in, come into a, um, a um, revelation of this love that we've heard um, Greg talk about. If we go to um, Romans eight fifteen, it says here, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, ears also, ears of God and fellow ears with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And it's, it's so interesting, isn't it, that slavery has fruit. And if we're living as slaves, there will be fruit of fear in our lives. And when you think of, um, you know, I was just looking at the the difference, what comes out of slavery is this um, fear and futility and corruption. And it it goes on and talks about the, the whole of the earth is longing for the sons of God to be revealed. And while all creation, it says in Romans, through, through creation God has designed it, that his power is revealed and his divine nature is revealed, God as Father is not revealed through creation because Jesus said, no one knows the Father but those that I reveal him to. And so... This spirit of sonship is something that is, in the plan of God, something that all of creation is groaning to come into this, this place where it's no longer under corruption, but it's under the, in, in this, this form where, where we are no longer under corruption in slavery, in and this whole thing that is dying and diminishing, but we're brought into the life that is Christ. It's, um, it's a real powerful passage. Do you want to go on with that a bit more? I want to throw a question. Sure. Slightly. What was the question that Jesus was posed by Satan in this area of identity? If you are the Son of God, he will throw that question at you to test whether you know who you are. And then he will go to work on you if you don't. He is evil. 
And the Bible says he prowls like a lion. He's not a lion. We have the Lion of Judah in our team. But he looks and sounds like a lion. And if you don't know who you are, he will mess you up big time. Because he's the father of lies. We are of the father of truth. Can you see why you need to know the father of truth? Because the father of lies will come along and go, you're not a son, Jackie. And you and me have to have a revealed position. Otherwise, he will bombard you. Even use the words of God to take you down. But we have the father of truth. And he wants to show you who you are in him. Do you think he knew who Jesus was? So what was the second test he did to Jesus? Straight after he says this. Say it again. He couldn't give him power, but what did he try to do? It's along those lines. Yeah, no, before that though. Before that, before he offered him the kingdoms, which weren't a temptation because they're dead kingdoms. No, no. What's the first thing that Jesus says to him? He's come out of the wilderness. Right. So he says, you're hungry. If you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. You see now in the areas of gifting, he's going to also come along and test you in who you're using your gift for. He knows Jesus can turn the stones to bread. He knows who Jesus is, but he's going to test them to see if he knows who he is. Because Jesus says, no, 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 no. Man did not live on bread alone because I know my father of truth. And I I know you're trying to hoodwink me with my father's truth. So man doesn't live on bread alone. I actually don't need to perform a miracle even though I can and step outside of my father's will. Now think about what I spoke about this morning. Gifting, signs and wonders, miracles, prophecy and all that stuff that you can do with a gift and a calling. But Jesus is not stepping out of alignment to his Father's will because he knows the Father's will and he knows the Father's truth. If he can't get you on the identity, he will get you on the works. And if you don't know who you are and how the gift is to operate, you will succumb because he will press your self button. I can give you all things, Jesus, for they have been given to me. The problem is Jesus said, no, your kingdom. He knew it was a fallen kingdom and it was perishing and he'd come to establish his father's kingdom. So it wasn't a temptation or a test to Jesus because Jesus knew his father, knew who he was, but do you? Can you see how easy this is to get caught up in giftings and things and not know who you are and then hear away from me? You of sin, lawlessness, who did your own thing but never realized it. If he's going to test the Christ, you think he's going to test you? So we need to know, guys, who we are. 
And we also need to know who we are so we can minister correctly with the gift. Because he will try to get you to build your own life and ministry with it. But it's not for that. Doesn't it say that that he'll come that Satan will come and he finds nothing in me? Hey, this is this is Christ, you know? That and I think that's what we that's what we see in this like little scenario is that he comes and there's that there's an attempt to tell Jesus who he's not. But as is when when the tempter comes he finds nothing in me. There's nothing in him that longs for what's being offered. So when it is offered, he's able to freely say, actually no, no thanks. I'm not I'm just not interested in that. He's not interested in um, having his earthly needs met by turning stones into bread, but he's also not in need of any kind of reputation. Is it throw yourself off the off the temple, off the most religious point in all of Jerusalem, and angels will catch you and bear you up. He doesn't need to to perform for other people's um, approval or um, to be seen to be ministering or to be doing things for God. You know? um, and so in, in all of these things, I think there's a, there's a much deeper temptation than just what's on the surface. Add to that what you said, add to. Before I talked about what I talked about, you said, did you want to add more to what you'd said? The Romans? Yeah. <coughs> I think it's, to me, again, I would go back to my my testimony when when I'm reading things like in verse 21 of um, Romans 15 uh, Romans 8 rather <clears throat> that that creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God the freedom of not having your identity in what you do is incredible because you, you it it's it just is got nothing to do with that so if if you make a like if you make an utter fool of yourself in other in front of people sweet it's not a problem you know if if you you are you are free to make mistakes and learn you're free because you're free and implanted in his love rather than having to gain your sense of who you are by what you do and all of the things when when you're planted in that and that's your root system it can just it can just be toppled like that. And in God's plan and in his mercy, he allows that sometimes to happen. It had happened for me, because otherwise I would have just gone round and round and round and round for more decades doing the same thing, because I was so entrenched in it. But he wants us to be free from everything. So we're, we're free from having to do anything. We are just able to be 
you know, so we're not having to prove ourselves, we're not having to, we don't feel that we're more worthy or our life is more worthwhile if we do A, B and C, because it's completely and utterly rooted in a different substance. And the so the fear is not there, the anxiety and the worry and all the stuff is just, it's not there. It's awesome. <laughs> and you come into a place where it's like you, you see life that is a multiplicating, a, a, a multiplying life. It's instead of being in this thing where you're trying to add and add and add and add, that's all flesh. But the, the kingdom is, is uh, his power in his life multiplies. The seed multiplies, doesn't it? You know, 30, 60, 100 fold. And it's like, it's so not attached to us and our effort and our striving that it really does glorify God because we, there's no way that anybody could do what you're doing or could be like what you are unless God was in you. So you demonstrate his, who he is. It's, it's, a cool, it's a cool thing and to come into more and more. <laughs> I just want to add also that, you know, okay, our identity is not in our doing, but it's not to be in relationships, relationship status, job, career, money, gifting, any of that stuff. So if you're looking for purpose and identity in whether you have children or not, you know, you're in trouble. If it's in whether you're married or not, you're in trouble. It's whether you're single, you're in trouble. It's None of that shapes our identity, and yet it does for so many. You know, I'm, I'm a person of lack if I don't have this. Who said? Like, where would you get that from? See, so this is the danger when we are an orphan of an orphan spirit and we haven't yet really come into this maturing of a sonship thing where you know, man, that was robbing me of life. You're just hearing it. You're hearing testimony of being robbed of life because of a lack of revelation. And the Bible says you only need a revelation the size of a mustard seed. You see, this is where the process starts. Can you hear what I just said? You know, I hear this all that we're in process. Where's your process starting from? The new or the old trying to get better? The process starts at the revelation you have not at the lack trying to muster up something that's never going to get mustered up. All you need is the size of a mustard seed of revelation of sonship, and that is enough to radically change you like that. Then your process of coming to understand your father and who you are multiplies. You hear me? If it's not in there, you're a dead person trying to find life in a dead person. That's what has to die. And that's the power of revelation. It takes you out of that and propels you into the kingdom. Bang, drops you. Now it's like, whoa, I have a reference for that. I also have a reference for the life that's now in me that I didn't have in me before. Tracking with me? 
Now you know of the sonship and you just live. Let me put it into the practical for you. Did you ever doubt your natural identity? Sam, did you ever doubt you weren't a Willis? Did you ever have one thought that went, I'm not a Willis? Did you know your mum and dad? Did you know they were your mum and dad? Did you ever doubt they were not your mum and dad? Were you afraid of your mum and dad? Did you go to your mum and dad? (laughs) In essence, you know, sure. Did you go to your mum and dad in times of trouble? Did you seek their counsel? Did you go boldly into their throne room and ask for help? (laughs) Yeah, I learned that lesson. (laughs) Can you see, we do this in the natural. Okay, We never doubt, I've never doubted ever I'm a Simnor, never. From day one, sure, a month old, I'm just a feeding machine. Oh, your mum, your dad. As I grow and mature, I realise I'm a sin. I've never, ever doubted it. This is the level of what revelation does, and all you need is a tiniest, smallest seed called a mustard seed. Increase our faith, Lord. No, if you had faith through revelation, you would say to this mulberry tree, out of here. That gets in you through revelation, sonship. Look out. You're about to experience a life you've never known was even possible in Christ. I think that's massive, eh? Because I feel like we've just heard... um, I feel like we've just heard from a doctor who's finally diagnosed accurately a solution for all of the struggle, the strain, the stress, the challenge of trying to change yourself and be a better person. And all of a sudden we've just heard about the cure for cancer. eh? And this is why the gospel is good news because it sets you free from yourself and the way that you've been trying to enter into life. eh? And I think this is what's so powerful about the scripture that Sandra was sharing and also in Galatians here because a lot of the time the context, particularly in the in the Romans one, is, is the Jews who have been trying for so long to enter into life. And it talks about these, I think it's in, um, I think it might be in Romans 9 afterwards, it talks about um, that they were pursuing righteousness but they didn't pursue it by faith. And all of a sudden, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, which was Christ. And to me, this is the only time you can genuinely talk about being in process before entering into the sonship that Greg's talking about is when you're trying so hard and you're getting so desperate and all of your efforts are so futile and and so you're, you're at a place where you're so broken and messed up that you literally run yourself into the ground that you have absolutely nowhere to go, that finally for the first time you just give up and you, and you finally repent and you say that my way is just totally not working. That, that's, uh, to me, if I say, that's the only time that saying I'm in process is okay outside of sonship because at least you're moving somewhere. You know? But I think like we heard about this morning, it's the most dangerous position is the position of apathy and saying that you're in process when you're actually lukewarm and you're stale when you're sitting in a pond as opposed to in a stream you know, of living water because you're actually not moving anywhere. And the only process that you're in, it might be a little bit of wind that's blowing your little boat around the, 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 <laughs> the, 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 the pond, but 
Whereas actually, it would be so much better to be out in ten foot swells where your boat is going un- <laughs> is going under, and and you literally need to cry out and say, "God, I I desperately need you." And I know for for me, I I, I reached a point where um, I've shared before about some of the conversations I had with my granddad, who was my hero and a father of the faith. So I thought a missionary and a preacher his whole life. And the best thing that could have ever happened to me when I was 19 years old was hearing that he completely denied and walked away from his faith because up until that point, so much of what I had known had rested on someone else. And it was when that came to a staggering halt that I finally had to ask the question for myself, God, I don't even know if you're real. And if you are real, I just don't even know you. And looking back in hindsight, which obviously we heard from was a beautiful thing, at the time it wasn't beautiful, it was a heartache, it was, it was devastating. But now I look back and I was like, man, that thing forced me to ask the question, to get real with God about the state of my own heart and about my relationship in a way that actually profoundly influenced me and changed me. And seeing my whole family, which now, like, from a from a Christian family, I'd say I, I look at my extended family. I've got my two sisters, who you guys obviously know. Apart from them, my ex, I'm talking about my extended family. When one guy went down, because a faith was built not on the revelation of Christ, it was built on an earthly relationship with a man. They all came crumbling down after, to the extent that there's no one really in my in my extended family who has a genuine relationship with God, because of one man's. You see what I'm saying? We can't build each, our lives on other people like we've been he- hearing about it on, a, on our wives or husbands or children or even one another in an unhealthy way. You know? So what if, what, if Greg, what if Greg comes down? Or what if, we, I don't know, what if, what if, some, what if, what if, what if he goes out? <laughs> I was just thinking it'd be the chaplain of the Liverpool Football Club and move over, but you know. I but, I'm, but I'm serious, you know, what, you know, like... This this thing has to be real. This thing has to be real for ourselves. What what if I turn around and deny my faith? Is what's that going to mean for Tess and Levi? Well, hopefully nothing. You know, ho- hopefully if 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 one of the elders it all comes out. Oh my goodness, I've been having an affair for the last three years. I hope that no one's built their faith on. Is it? You see what I'm saying? And yet, to me, this is the. This is the beauty of the body and the dynamics that we have to walk out because while we need to be free from one another, we need one another. And so, but it's this position of freedom that actually our identity is so secure in Christ that all of a sudden we can need each other in the right way and we can receive and learn from each other and receive from the gifts that are on each other's lives without actually needing to build our foundation on earthly people or as opposed to what was always supposed to be our foundation, which was the revelation of Christ within us. And you can see how all of a sudden this takes on a whole new meaning, that to be able to be um, secure in your identity with Christ puts you in the most beautiful position to then minister and be ministered to from the gifts because we can receive from each other, but we're not in, in need of each other. To me, it's, it's beautiful, you know? I just want to touch on one thing that Sam said there. If Sam messed up, would our faith rest on Sam or God? Now, here's the thing. 
Let's just say, play this out. It's not going to happen, but if it did, slaves would ostracize themselves from the sinner. Sons would run too and restore the sinner. Because that's what love does. But a slave can't associate themselves with the behavior. So they wash their hands. Sons run to and restore. And that that can look incredibly Christian, good, um, holy, as you're holding up the standard of truth, you know. And yet, to me, Jesus walks us out in such a beautiful way because you see him in one in one breath. I think even in the passage was um, is it Simon and is it the lady that was caught in adultery or um, the lady who um, breaks the um, the alabaster vial? And in one breath, he's able to strongly rebuke the behaviour of this Pharisee, and yet then in another breath be able to offer such mercy and kindness and, and gentleness where it's appropriate, you know? And so it is, there's, there's all of these things being kind of worked out at the same time, you know? Um, let's have some questions from the floor. Um, so just so we capture this, I've got a mic. I'll hand you my mic. Um, and if you don't have any questions, we'll go to a question that will appear up here, but... My sense is at least two questions. There may be more. We've said a lot. I'm sure there are questions. Things that might need clarity. Just also wait till you get the mic so you can speak into the mic so people hearing. This is a question for Sandra initially, but all um you talked about that you used to struggle with like anxiety and stuff and now you don't is that just you don't ever like nothing in your life kind of take takes you aback or surprises you or causes that response in you no No, <laughs> I I don't know how to explain it except that it was it was a whole different go to. And 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 there's a whole different go to. That's that's I don't, yeah I don't know how to describe it except that it literally isn't, and and it it gets tested. You know that what what he builds does get tested, so that that what's him is revealed and what's not him is revealed also, and and I think that he takes you on a journey of, you know, this is for you, um, and I know that that that's something that he he opens up the promises and. If you don't know it's for you, if you think that anxiety is normal, you know, I mean, a case in point would be that I thought that, you know, the whole story about the the storm was about Jesus rebuking the storm. So I'd always 
seen that as when I'm going through storms, I need to ask Jesus to come and rebuke the storm and calm it. And then he called me in to him asleep in the boat. And he said, Sandra, that's for you. Do you want it? But I didn't know that until he he called me into that. And I said, yes, I sure do. But then that revelation, he built the substance of it. And then he tested it with the storms. And it was like, wow, that's there. I didn't do that. We do believe he wants us free, eh? It's funny, sometimes we are so surprised when we hear freedom. Can't be. And I'm not saying this is what Sarah is saying at all. And this is what he's trying to take us to. Freedom in Christ, this is what it looks like. It's overcoming, giving you a brand new mind so the thought never appears in your mind again because he didn't. And so the goal is perfection. Maturity in Christ. This is this is the opportunity. Back to very back to the start. What are you putting at risk? Freedom. Remember that what we said right at the start? What are you putting on the line? A life now where you can be completely free in Christ. Because that's what the power of God does. It sets you free to never have to struggle with bondage again. I come to set the captive free. I come to heal every broken heart. It looks like me walking on the earth. He is the perfect prototype model. Yes? Did he worry and was he anxious? No. Even when he went through Gethsemane, he had a joy in him set before him and he walked through it. So this is the supernatural gospel that does a supernatural work that sets you free to be able to live the life you were predestined for. We've got to go after it. And it has to become the number one priority in your life. Not getting married, not having babies, not buying houses, not going on holidays, not futuring your career, not getting an educational degree in XYZ, not playing for sport for this, Jesus Christ, then let him define all what I just said, if it is actually for you, but you will walk this earth above it in freedom. Indestructible life in Christ in you, from the imperishable seed that's in you, growing. And I think to me this is why when we're talking about what the process looks like, because when you hear when you hear a word like that, you, you're most definitely you'll either go one of two ways. Oh, okay, um, I'm not sh- I'm not sure about that. Um, anxiety doesn't everyone have anxiety? You know, aren't we? And and that will be and that'll be that. You know, or oh my goodness, I've heard something that's so incredibly desi- I've heard something that's so incredibly divine, and I've heard that actually that's who I've always been called to be and how I've always been called to live. And you allow, to me, this is, you repent, you allow your your thoughts to be changed to who he, who he says you are and who, who he is and who he says that you are. And to me, it's, 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 it's a completely different process than essentially um, rejecting 
rejecting the word when it comes, you know? So to me, it's, it's simply like, it's, 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 it's saying, um, let this be done to me according to your word, like Mary said. Um, so. Um, so you talked about what uh, sonship in a community looks like in regards to, let's use Sam as an example again, let's say Sam slipped up and you talked about what sonship looks like for a community around him and what the lack of sonship looks like. Could you talk to us about what sonship or the lack of sonship might look like in the individual Sam, for instance? So if Sam has slipped up, if he knows he's a son, what that response looks like, and what it might look like if he if he doesn't know that he's a son. Good question. We ask Sam first, <laughs> since Sam's the one that slipped up. Sorry, I didn't realise I was coming here to confess tonight. But, um, <laughs> it's accountability yeah. <laughs> over the microphone online. <laughs> Better now, bro. <laughs> Tess, are you listening? <laughs> um, to me, I think that the response of someone who doesn't know that they're a son is that they'll never truly be able to genuinely repent and be real with where they're at and what's going on within them. You know, So they'll always, they might acknowledge it because they're being caught out, but they'll be sorry for being caught out as opposed to being truly repentant and allowing their mind to be renewed to who they were always called to be and actually stepping into that, leaving the past behind and not touching it again. To me, that, to me that's the difference, you know? So They won't struggle with shame. So a son will not struggle with the shame of his behavior and won't let shame have one ounce in him. Through true repentance, he will be convicted or she will be convicted of the heart, but will not suffer shame because they know they are righteous in Christ and their behavior does not determine their righteousness. He does. That is a very powerful position to be in because God restores, hear what I'm saying, there is a conviction, there is genuine repentance. And he has forgotten what you just did. Why are you beating yourself up when he's not? Freedom in Christ. And, to, and I just want to add one more thing. And to me, this is like, like, this is the genuineness of repentance. Because when you repent, you actually don't keep living the way that you were living before. You, you've, you've transitioned from death to life, and you've gone from being in Adam to being in Christ. So why should, there be, why should there be shame attached to someone who's actually just dead, buried in the grave, no longer to come up for air again? You know, like, it's, like there, there doesn't need to be a constant looking back to the past when, when the past is, is gone. You know, there's, um, the, the old things have passed away and the new things have, have come. That, that doesn't mean there aren't consequences for the action. Okay? So it's like David. There are consequences for his actions, but he repented and went straight back to the position he was before he actually, you never leave that position. I'm just curious what your definition of shame is, do you know what I mean? Because I think when you, when you do think about stuff that you've done in the past, there is a feeling of shame of, oh my gosh, what a dick, you know what I mean? 
Like, and so that's... Are you allowed to say that? (laughs) 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 Sam said nuts that time, so (laughs) I was just going on the same thing. (laughs) Pretty much just made everything okay from the pulpit. (laughs) So I'm just... When you talk about not having shame, I'm like, what... Like, how do you define that? Is that... Do you mean living in shame? Because... For me, if I think back about stuff that I've done wrong that's made me, like stuff that you've gone, okay, that was really crappy and I repent for that really deeply because I realise that that was a stink thing to do. If I didn't feel that shame in it, I don't know that I would have the conviction. I don't know. Yeah. Good book. This is a really, to me, this is a really good dialogue, by the way. I think shame and conviction are very different. I know I've hurt people in the past. Do I feel stink about that? Yep. Did I wish I never did it? Yep. If I could go back and change it, would I? Yep. Am I in shame about that? No. So even in the stuff that I've done, I've never felt shame, ever. I've never (laughs) beaten myself up and said, you're a loser, Simnor, once. And I've even ministered from that place out of after repenting like that and moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. But it has to be a true conviction. Here I'm saying it's not like, great, I can just get away with that now because I don't feel this thing. Your heart doesn't want to do that. But the righteousness, you know when Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? There's a reason why he said it. And there's a reason why he said it. If there was a person going to be ashamed of himself, it was Paul. But he says, why? Because in it, the gospel is the righteousness of God. And while I've been being the way I was as Saul, his patience and his grace and his love was covering me. And he says, my life is the demonstration of the patience of God. So I'm not ashamed because the gospel has gone to work so deep within me, I know how right I am, even though my behavior was pure evil. So does that... So I have been embarrassed, wish I hadn't done it, and I've asked people to forgive me but not gone to the place of beating myself up and not spending one minute thinking about that and regurgitating it over and over where I actually put myself into a ground or something. You know what I mean? So that's I was free, but there were consequences I had to deal with, and um, I was embarrassed by my behaviour. Wish I'd never done it, but not ashamed, not ashamed. If you were giving shame a definition, so if you were saying this is what shame looks like, because to me, my definition of shame is feeling stink about what I've done. Does that make, do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Shame would, for me, would probably be regurgitating what you've done and beating yourself up over and over and over and over and driving you into a dead position. And to me, it's, to me, it's you're disqualifying yourself from the future because of what you've done, you know? And I think to me, like, you, uh, it's not that there's not a sense of that you're guarded, or there's a there's not a sense of grief, but th- it's it's knowing that that doesn't disqualify you for from who you've been called to become. 
a few years ago when I was praying and I was feeling stink about what I had done in sin, and the Lord said to me, I want you to edit out condemnation in your prayers. Because when we try to pay again for what Jesus did, we are voiding everything he did on the cross. And there is a difference between shame and condemnation. And that's why the promise is there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ because he paid it all. And it is not our position to do that anymore. The, prop, the problem is this, guys. We are so behaviorally driven, okay, which is the root of self. Okay? So, we are so we are grown up to behavior and then catch up you belong. God says you belong, believe, then we're going to sort out your behavior. So, your behavior is irrelevant, you know what I'm saying, when you start. It's belonging. If you know you're a son and you belong, and there's no way out. So your behavior doesn't get you kicked out of his kingdom or his family. What do you think that does? You might just start believing, being fully convinced, which just might start changing your behavior. It will. Because we're so behaviorally driven, because we don't know we belong, because that is just too good. How can you love me while I'm doing that? Because I'm God. So receive through revelation who I am. Uh, sorry, I'm just on shame. Uh, it's not actually a question. Well, it's just to clarify, um, I feel like what I'm hearing you say and what my understanding has been is that shame is about who you are. So it relates to your identity. So it's like, I did a bad thing, therefore I am bad. As opposed to, like, I did a bad thing, that was a bad thing, move on. Does it, like, I feel like kind of hearing, so so shame, it it's like, that's what's connected. wrong with it, is that it's like, you're, you're not accepting who you are. You're, who you are is dependent on how well you're doing in your behaviour. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if that's at all what you were saying or yeah. helpful. yeah. I'll see if I can get this. I remember Joe Hughes saying this, something about when she was growing up, her mum said, I'm ashamed of you. And she took that, and what it was was her behaviour her mum didn't love or like, but her mum said, I'm ashamed of you. And so Joe took that into her, and that shame went, what you're saying, Kathleen, went into her identity. So my mother is ashamed of me. And what her mum was really saying was, I don't like your behaviour, I love you. But she didn't say it like that, and it wasn't heard that way. I don't think there will be one person in this room who, looking back on their past, wouldn't, um, you know, there, there aren't things that you'd want to have changed if you, you know, look, looking back in high. That's just the reality of being a human being, you know? And I think. Re- regardless of if you've been a, um, a drug dealer, been to prison, or been grown up in a really good Christian family, the reality of life is still the same for everyone, you know? And I think to me this is like, it's only the gospel that can bring you into this position of freedom where you actually are set free from yourself. Because I think shame is, when, when you're 
when you feel ashamed, you're actually, you're not grieving for the sake of the hurt that you've caused, some, caused someone else. You're, you're processing the implications towards you. And you're, it's, it's being ashamed as a position of being self-centered, really, you know? So what if we were just set free from ourselves? And what if we were able to truly, genuinely grieve for the hurt that we might have caused someone else? To me, that's right and that's good. That it's, it's you know, it's all part of repentance. And yet not be so self-centered where we're actually like you know worried about what we've done for someone else because of the consequences that would come back to us or you see what I'm saying like that to me that's that's the difference you know um just something to add i guess to that where for me in a certain circumstance, um, God just spoke to me. Oh no, no, someone asked me, would you, would you change that thing that happened? And I was just reflecting on it now, and it's like maybe how that turned out was not amazing, but actually what Father showed me through that and the life that I came into through that, I would never change for the world. And it's like these circumstances that happen or things that we go through, they're not always the most happiest of circumstances, so to speak. But if, you know, what they hold is a perfect opportunity for us to be smashed and for him to grow, and that's what having joy through trials and tribulations is because it's like he grows and we diminish. And it's like, so it's funny when you look back on these things and you're like, would I change that? I'm like, maybe I'll change how that went about, but actually what I gained was him, and I would never change that for the world, if that makes sense. And that was Peter, right? You know, like, would he, if he went back in his past, would he not deny Christ if he had the opportunity to? Well, unfortunately, we don't have that. (laughs) He doesn't have that luxury, but going through that then produced brokenness, which led to repentance, which produced life within him. So... Yeah. He he um, sets us up for a win, even when it's allowing us to come to the end of our stuff. That 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 flesh manifests in such ugly, <laughs> overwhelming that we have to face it. And th- th- this is a reality that if, if we're constantly just trying to cover up our flesh, you know, when it, it manifests, it doesn't deal to this root, but actually the whole, the whole idea is when it manifests is that we, we stop and we turn and face the thing and then ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, why is that coming out? That's not you. And that's, you know, the, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our righteousness he convicts the world of sin. He convicts us of our righteousness. And that's a whole different thing. So he, he convicts us of the fact that that's not who you are called to be. That behavior doesn't match. And he calls us back into the righteousness. And, and, and we turn, instead of this whole life what we live in a consciousness of sin all the time 
And you hear it from Christians, you know, he just convicts me of my sin. No, the blood of Jesus is the one thing that cleanses our consciousness from sin, from dead works. That, you know, it says that all these sacrifices of the old days were never able to cleanse the consciousness from sin, were they? And yet Christ does, so that we now live not in this consciousness of sin all the time, but in we are convicted of our righteousness. Great, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is this has been such a uh, this has been such a good dialogue, eh? You know. Last thought: Can you see now, sons and slaves? Okay, so if stuff in us has to come out for the life to be there. Can you see why sons are needed in the family and not slaves? Because slaves can't love on what's about to come out. Only sons can. And that's why love covers a multitude of blah. But it's purposeful. It's covering it so it can come out. So you don't expose somebody. You love them, walk with them, and lead them to the Father who then does a work through the power of the Holy Spirit within them. So then they go from slaves to sons. They are a son, but like we've looked at, they are living as slaves. So they're discovering who they are, and in the process, that person does it for others. Now you have a family of sons that are ready to receive a whole world of slaves that the father is going to draw because it's a healthy family who know how to love and cover and lead. And the process continues and it goes round and round. But while the church remains slaves, it will rip each other's head off. Hence, he tells us, don't devour one another with your freedom in Christ as immature sons who live as slaves. I hope this has been helpful. I feel his presence all over it. Um, we'll just put one question up, which we won't discuss. We'll call it a night, but maybe write that down and ask yourself that on the way home on your own time, Why is having a revealed position of sonship so essential when it comes to the use of spiritual gifts? Anybody want to finish in prayer and wrap it? Someone that doesn't normally pray. She prays. Uh, she's prayed. No, I'm, I'm actually. Hold on, I'm going to give it to someone else. That's <laughs> right. I don't mind talking to God. I just don't normally do it with a microphone. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this evening. Wow, Sandra, I, I um, you know, God, you just spoke through Sandra with that. God convicts us of our righteousness. Oh, my goodness. Um, If we could all just capture that. 
Lord, we'd um, not live in this sense of shame that what some of us do. Heavenly Father, I just pray that this week we can go forward towards you and, um, yeah, just really uh, seek you, Lord, and, and your presence in every single thing that we do. Um, not just put you on, take you off, put you on, take you off. Lord, be with us in every moment. Amen.